Well, I have a tendency to run vehicles out of fuel. I have struggled with keeping enough fuel in the tank to get me where I need to go. And this has been a problem that I've had ever since I was a kid. I know it's immature. I know that I struggle with these things. But, you know, back in the day, if you had five bucks, when I was in high school, five bucks could, if you, if you were careful, you could stretch it an entire week. You, know, you put that five dollars in the tank and you, can, you could stretch it all week. But yeah, I, I've, I've had a, more than a few, more than two hands worth, that even in the last 10 years, I've had to either get help or go get a gas tank or, you know, portable gas container and fill up my truck. And I think part of it is I'll blame it on the fact that I love old Chevy pickups. It's been a weakness of mine. I, I bought a 1951 Chevy truck when I, when I was about two, well, 2007 I bought it. And so I ran that for a while. That gas gauge did not work very well. Uh, my wife, Jackie, said, you know, would you please upgrade and get a newer vehicle? So I complied because I'm a good hubby. And uh, so then I got a 1966 Chevrolet pickup, also an antique vehicle. I realized that's splitting hair. She said newer, I got newer. But that gas gauge would get to like half full and then just quit working. So in my defense, okay, those few times that I had to call maybe some of you to come get me on the side of the road, you know, it, the gas gauge was not my friend. Now, these, these habits die hard. I realize now modern, you know, cars have, you know, nicer fuel gauges, and some of them will even beep at you when, you know, it's time to fill up, but I can ignore those just as easily as I can those old fuel gauges. I had a, a, an older gentleman one time tell me at a gas station, you know, son, the fuel at the top of the tank costs just as much as the fuel at the bottom of the tank. You ever heard that one? I was like, thank you, sir. I'll take that to heart. File that away back there. But I, I've struggled with, you know, doing that. And, and, and I think it's kind of, it's, it's a strange thing to talk about. But the idea of, I would sometimes run in my life without a whole lot of margin. What I mean by that is it's not just a fuel thing, like a fuel tank thing. Sometimes I would just not have any buffer. I just had enough fuel in the tank to get me here. But oftentimes I didn't really have the wisdom, especially early on, to have a little buffer, to have a little margin. You know what I'm talking about. Many of us, during this last several months, we've discovered our lack of margin in several areas. You know, people sometimes live paycheck to paycheck. Well, what happens when you lose a job? We didn't have any margin, no emergency funds. So, so margin can be, you know, fuel, yes, or it could be, you know, having enough in the bank just in case an emergency happens or a medical emergency happens. You know, speaking back about cars and margin and be, having a buffer and having a little bit of a safety zone, how many people have, a, have an emergency kit in your car right now? Okay, not very many, about half. Okay, uh, even online, I'm watching you. So how many of you think you probably should have an emergency kit in your car right now? Okay, or a few of us, okay. I feel, I feel you right there. Uh, in online, yes. We know we, we need to have some buffer in life, but a lot of times it's really difficult. Having extra savings, yes. You know, having a little margin in our time. I mean, early on, I, I found that I was always running from thing to thing, and I never took time to rest. In fact, I struggled with migraines for a long time because of that. Even getting into, you know, past high school and into, into college, I didn't have enough, you know, buffer, margin in my life. I, I was saying yes to everything, and some of you know what that feels like. You're saying yes to everything, and pretty soon you can't breathe. You know, we had creation 
at the beginning of Genesis, and there's an entire day set aside to do what? Rest. Margin. Margin not just in our finances, margin in our time, margin with the Lord. All of these things, are, are, they matter, but it's so elusive to so many of us. Like so many of us don't have a, a good savings plan. Many of us don't have a spending plan. We go from thing to thing and we forget that buffer is good, a little buffering zone safety. And we're not good at this as, Amer- as Americans. In fact, I looked up the other day uh, how, how much Americans save. How many think it's a good, a good number or, or maybe not so good number? Who thinks it's a good number? Americans are not good at savings. And I'm not just talking about this last several months with COVID-19. We tend to not save like we should. And this, this is not what this sermon's about. But the idea, we, we, we're not very good at this as Americans. In fact, think about this. You know, the old wisdom was save up and then buy it. Well, we don't like that in America, do we? Now, I remember when I was a kid, very few people drove new cars. You know, I think credit was harder to get. Maybe loans were harder to get. But I see new cars in the parking lot of the high school. And I'm like, man, I wish I was a kid. I had, you know, a Range Rover. You know, I can't even afford that now. But having, you know, having the ability to, to, to pay for something with cash seems like from a foreign world. Me saving up for something? Never! Just put it on the credit card. It's so easy. Buffer. Financially, buffer. Physically, buffer spiritually. Many of us haven't given really God the time it takes to really talk to Him in prayer. We say a flippant prayer every once in a while or prayer for our meal, but we haven't really given Him time. We need to have spiritual margin, physical margin, rest margin. Today we're going to be talking about that. In this series we started last week called Disrupted. And you could certainly arguably say that we have been very, very disrupted. And it just seems like day to day, the confusion is out there. We just, we're disrupted on so many levels. So we kicked off the series last week. And it's a four-part series, so I hope you make plans to be with us today and the next two weeks. I'm really excited about talking about this because I think this really is at the heart of what it is for the human experience. Because we are going to be living through different disruptions. You know, if it's not health or finances right now, it's going to be job, or it's going to be career, it's going to be something happening in the world. Disruption is the human experience. And so the question is, how do we handle it? How do we navigate times beyond our control? And that's what this whole series has been about. It was how to handle disruptions in a healthy way, not just to survive, but to thrive when we're disrupted, to actually thrive during those moments. Last week, if you were here or you were online with us, we talked a little bit about how when we're disrupted, all of our priorities can kind of get out of line. When we're disrupted, we realize maybe we prioritize things that were just really not the right things to prioritize. And so we talked about taking stock about what we put first and, and, and making the main thing the main thing. We talked about last week that when we're disrupted, many of us need to go back to the very basics making sure our well-being is good, we're healthy, we're eating, and we're spending time with the Lord. And remember, the character that we looked at last week was the character of Job in the Bible. He's got his own book in the Old Testament. The whole thing is so much to unpack in that book. We just don't have the time to do that. But Job was disrupted. And what did he do? He took stock, went back to the basics, even sat down for a while and just spent some time with the Lord. And sometimes that's what we need to do. So we get our priorities back, get back to the basics. So that's what we talked about last week. 
And you know, look, when disruption happens, it's a perfect opportunity for us. And we're going to be talking about this the next several weeks too. But when we're disrupted, it's a great time to stop and say, hmm, are there some things I need to stop doing? Okay, that's a good question. Here's the next question. Are there some things I need to start doing? Maybe that's, maybe that's been a good pause for you this last several months. What do I need to start doing? And maybe what do I need to improve? See, sometimes when we're just running and going from thing to thing and project to project, we don't take stock enough to pause and say, well, what, what maybe needs to change right now? It's a perfect opportunity when we're disrupted to figure out what do we need to maybe stop doing, what do we need to start doing, or even improve. Your ability to navigate circumstances beyond your control is one of the greatest tools of success in your life. When we hold on to Jesus and trust him when things are beyond our control, and we've, we try to look at, God, what are you teaching me? If we take that posture, it's going to make us so much more joy, joyful in our lives. So today we're going to deal with something that happens when we're disrupted, and that's margin. So we're going to be talking about today disrupt or depleted margin. So let's pause for a moment and ask God to speak to us. Father, we come before you in this room. We come before you online. Lord, we know that you are everywhere at once, and you're so powerful. You're all-powerful. You can do everything. And Father, we come before you humbly, approaching your throne as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we pray, Lord, for wisdom on how to handle this time frame where we're disrupted. And, and sometimes our, our, our priorities get out of whack. And, and Lord, also our margin gets depleted. So Father, would you, would you speak by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word? And may we be changed and challenged by it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So if you have a Bible or device, start finding Acts chapter 9. Some of you probably thought I was definitely going to go here in this series. So every week, we'll just see how good you are at figuring out which Bible character I'm going to hit. So if you know Acts chapter 9, we meet a guy named Saul. Now this is a game changer. This person was a game changer in the early church, but he didn't start out that way. Saul was a superhero on the, the, the Jewish side of the world. See, that's, that's the area of the world we're talking about is ancient Jerusalem, and that was kind of the, the headquarters of the Jewish people. And I realized the Jewish people had had an up-and-down time with the Lord, and, and they've been conquered several times, but this part of the world in Jerusalem, the Jewish people, this was their enclave. This is where the temple was. This is important for them. And there were some early leaders in the Jewish movement, and one of them was a guy named Saul. And he was on his way fast-tracked to becoming, you know, Uber Saul. He was going to be probably the next high priest at some point if he played his cards right. He was certainly going to be a rabbi. Trained in all the proper tradition. He had the right credentials. He had all the pedigree. And this chapter, if you've never read it in Acts, this literally is the reason we're probably sitting in this room right now. Was the ministry of this guy named Saul. Now you may wonder, Saul, I'm not really familiar with him. Well, just hold on a second. So in Acts chapter 9, and again, we're, we're back now to the first century. We're kind of like going back in time to the first century. And we're looking at this guy named Saul. And he's a guy that's, that, that again, he's, he's breathing out threats right now against God's people. That is, against those who are following the Jesus way. And listen to what it says. I'll pick it up in verse 1 here. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. 
pause for a second. Anybody know how far Damascus is from Jerusalem? About as far as Salem is from Tacoma, Washington. In there. That's some serious... He's serious. Like, he's going to go that far. I mean, it probably wasn't the only community that, that maybe Paul got a wind of there's Jesus followers in Damascus. We've got to go take care of that. So he's on his way. That's a long way. In fact, I, I had to verify that this morning as I was praying. I'm like, Lord, that can't be that far. And then I looked at the map and I went, yeah, it's, that's that far. In fact, there were times in history where it was even farther because you had to avoid certain areas to get there. Right? So it might have even been a lot longer. might have been like three times that. That's a long time on foot. How many have ever walked like five miles? Ten miles? 140 miles? (laughs) Like, that's crazy. So, all right, I digress. Verse 4, or verse 3 here. So that's what he was heading out to do. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, well, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise, enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. Verse 7, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Now I've got to pause right there. That's some interesting stuff. Like what did these guys do after this? Like, did they hightail it back to Jerusalem? Did they ask, you know, Saul, what's going on here? I, we don't know. In history, we don't know. But I'm curious about, about those folks that were with him on that road, that heard the voice. Verse 8, Saul, Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. All right, so, da-da-da, enter into the story a guy named Saul. Now, what happens next, if you know the story, i just kind of paraphrase just a little bit of it. Uh, he, he's waiting, and God taps the shoulder of a disciple who happens to be in Damascus, a guy named Ananias, and tells him, hey, there's a, there's a guy in town I want you to meet. And as soon as God kind of reveals who this person is, Ananias is a little frightened. Well, why is he frightened? (laughs) Probably everybody knew Saul's on the way, and he's not happy with the Jesus followers. So Ananias, arguably, is saying, well, maybe is this a wise thing? And and, and imagine having that conversation with God. God is telling you that you need to do this, and you're like, well... But he's kind of killed some people, put some people in prison. I'm not sure this is a, telling God, I'm not sure this is a wise decision. I can't even imagine being in that place. But Ananias was really afraid here. Not sure. Finally, he agrees. You know, the Lord said, look, I'm going to use this guy, and he is going to suffer. And so Ananias, you know, agrees and goes to find Saul. God gives him the address, actually. And tells him to go. Wouldn't that be great sometimes if God, you know, he's going to call you to something and he says, here's the address I need you to go to. Wouldn't that be nice sometimes? I don't know. But Ananias, he goes and, and, uh, and talks to, to, to Saul. And, and, and basically what happens here is, is so amazing. Now, if you still got your Bible or device open, it's not going to be up on the screen. But, but look at that uh, verse, verse 18. 
So Ananias talks to him, and maybe they have some conversation about who Jesus is and some things like that. But, but this is amazing. This, this is a game changer. Now listen to this progression of what happens. Verse 18, at once something like scales fell off of his eyes, and he was able to see. So that's, that's interesting. Something fell off of his eyes, like a physical thing. He got up and was baptized. Holy moly. We have just radically shifted in three days or less. We may not totally get the whole scope of this, but remember, he is switching religions in three days. That doesn't usually happen. Something radical would have had to occur. Not unlike hundreds of followers of Jesus being radically changed because they saw him risen from the dead. That kind of change is what we're talking about. He switches gears from being in the leadership of the Jewish people to now following the way of Jesus. He was baptized three days. Remember what his journey was to Damascus was all about. He completely switches gears. And look, then he got something to eat and regained his strength. You can't just read that sentence and go, oh, it seems like a good thing. He got baptized, good, good for him. Sometimes we look at baptism, things like that, it's like, it's, oh, it's no big deal. We had a baptism here last week, and look, it's a big deal. You're saying, I'm all in, it's death, burial, and resurrection. I've got new life. I am no longer a slave to sin. I have been redeemed. That's powerful stuff. Paul, in three days, this, I, this still gets me. He completely, radically switches gears. What does he do next? He goes right to the synagogue. No Jesus follower, follower should have done that if he had all his brains around him. Paul was convinced. And what does he do? He goes to the synagogues and tells them, proves them, proves to them that Jesus is the Messiah. This is radical, radical transformation. And yes, radical, radical disruption. You could argue that Paul was wrecked from this day forward by encountering Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Wrecked. Goes to the synagogues. And of course, what do they want to do now once they hear Saul now is this big spokesman for Jesus? What do they want to do? Come on. They want to get rid of him. So what we find now is over and over again, Paul in his ministry, and this is going to go way on through the book of Acts. You've got to read it, okay? But he's going to keep going, and where, where's he going to go? He's going to travel to these cities, and wh where's he going to go first? Synagogues. Because he has the pedigree, he, has, he, he had it all, and he was going to tell them right from Scripture what they knew, prove to them from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah that they've all been waiting for. And what do they try to do at almost every time? Come on. Kill him. He had to escape several times, beaten several times. You know, in, 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 I'm going to go a little bit farther than I promise. We'll, we'll, we'll move forward. But I love this chapter. I'm telling you, this chapter is, uh, when you follow the rest of this chapter, he, he decides, you know what, I need to go, I need to go to, uh, back to Jerusalem. So remember, he left Jerusalem. He's, on, he's in the leadership core of the Jewish nation. And what does he decide to do? You know, I need to go back to Jerusalem. That is gutsy. I realized that he had the Holy Spirit 
but that's also gutsy. Sometimes we walk with the Lord, we agree with the Lord. Sometimes, you know, we take risks for the Lord. I, I feel like that was a pretty risky thing to do. He goes back to Jerusalem, and, and, and are, are the disciples ready to embrace him now as another Christ follower? Come on into the fold, Saul. We'll give you a big hug. What happened? Does anybody know? They don't want to meet with him. They don't want to, they're like, I don't want him to know where I live. Because, you know, they thought it was just another ploy that the Jewish council was using to, to get more Christ followers. And so nobody wants to meet with him but, but a, a, a guy named Barnabas. Might, might have been a wealthy, a wealthy man, we're not sure. His name means encourager, so it makes sense that Barnabas might, you know, warm up to, to Saul. Barnabas meets him, befriends him, brings him into the council, and I'm sure, you know, there, you know, Paul, or Saul at this point still, got to meet some of the, the, the super apostles and got to, got to find out, you know, what was going on and actually interview those very same people that he was trying to murder. I mean, just, do you see how radical this transformation was? Paul was completely disrupted and wrecked and spoke to the disciples and basically he began a new story and he began to say, Jesus is God's son over and over again. And he suffered greatly. But I look at Saul and I think, wow, that is a life disrupted. And boy, it caused him to stop in his tracks. He did a three-day fast without water or food. Now, I think that's about the limit for, for water, right? We, we can go without food for a good spell. In fact, there's a, a new thing I know called intermittent fasting. Some of you may have heard of that. But, but like, that's a day or two, three days without food or water. He is really taking stock of his life right now. I mean, he, he is stopped in his tracks. He is so disrupted that he can't do anything. He's just sitting there thinking, I have had my life on this track and I thought I was doing the right thing, and I, I can't go on that path anymore. He was so radically disrupted, he had to stay, take stock of what was going on with his life, his friendships, his career path. Everything was in question. And then he connects with Ananias. He's able to see again. He's baptized. And then he gets the chance to talk to the disciples. And he, he connects with God in a way that it, he's probably never, never connected with God before. And he becomes the game changer for the early church. How ironic is it, right? This is the wisdom and mystery of God that he would choose the number one, at the time, Jewish leader to be the number one Christ follower leader that will basically radically transform the ancient Roman world. And I, I would make this case, and I'm not the first one to make this case. I think that this was the start of even how Western culture formed. I realize that we're in a postmodern world now, and most people don't think, you know, even in westernized nations, that, oh, Judeo-Christian, that's, that's old school, that's ancient. But most of how we operate, whether people like it or not, there is a Judeo-Christian heritage where some of these things have lasted. And I would say this is part of the beginning of that radical transformation of Western culture. Now, you can argue with me that, send me emails, but I, I think I can make a pretty good case. So here we go. This guy is just radically, radically disrupted. Saul reassessed his life, maybe got back to basics. I mean, even down to not eating or drinking for a while. Got right with his relationship with the Lord. And then 
He takes on a new name. I let it out a little earlier, but he begins going by the, by the name of Paul. And most of the ancient world was never the same after this. This is a, a Rembrandt from 1661. I don't, I don't know that that's what Paul looked like. But he radically, radically changed human history by the power of Jesus Christ. And that is resonating even today for us sitting here or online today, even talking about Jesus. It started with a divine disruption. Now, I don't know where you're at on this disruption deal, but I feel like disruption can be a game changer for the good. It can. It really can. I know this is not fun, but I've, I've had some serious talks with the Lord, and it's, me and the Lord have had a relationship switch that's really deepened, and and disruption can sometimes make that occur. That can create the space for it to happen. It can slow us down enough to reassess what's going on. I mean, certainly you could make that case for Paul. Disruption doesn't have to end us. It can actually propel us forward. And and again, reassess our priorities. It can help us to say, man, I, I really haven't created much margin in my life. I've been running from thing to thing. I've not really done well at creating margin in my life where I have space financially. I have space physically. I have space spiritually. Paul, when he was disrupted, he reassessed his life, his direction, even his margin. And I think when we are disrupted, we need to consider our margin and replenishing that at moments when we're realizing we're on the edge. We have no buffer. We have no safety zone. See, I think uh, there's, there's a, another challenge here. And that is we want to have buffer, but we don't want to hoard. Right? You know, we want to have extra, right? But we don't want to fall into that category crossing the line of hoarding, you know, where we're kind of trying to create this perfect comfy life and we have so much margin that we really aren't sharing with people in need, right? So we have two sides, either not having any margin, you know, we're just living right on the edge, or, or we, we might cross another line of getting too, too much margin. And now you may be thinking, well, that's just your opinion, Ben. Well, Jesus did tell a story about hoarding. You remember this story? I think uh, if, you, if you look in Luke 12, you'll see this. It's a, depending on the version of the Bible you're, you're using, uh, you know, I'd call it like the, you know, the, the, the rich barn guy, but some versions call it the rich fool. So, uh, but this story that Jesus tells is basically about a guy who hoards. He, things go well for him. The crops are growing well. He builds up his stock, stockpiles, and he's got more than he needs. He's like, well, I got plenty that I'm, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry and not basically care about God or care about any other people. And, you know, you, you, you get this moment where the Lord kind of speaks to him and says, you know, you, you fool. You, don't even, you can't even buy another day of your life, really. And your life's going to be over. And where is this all going to go? So hoarding is kind of taking it too far. We need margin, but we don't want to hoard it. So, and the key is margin. Let's, let's have it, but not hoard it. And, and that can come in a number of different, different places. But let me just ask you right now, how is your margin? Financially, physically, spiritually, you know, how is your margin today? And, and has this disruption that we've been in 
challenge that margin for you? Have you seen, wow, maybe I haven't, maybe I haven't done you know, my diligence in planning and being careful and being a good steward of my time and my resources and, and, and my spiritual life? How is your margin today? Are you running a little thin is the question. When we're disrupted, this is a great time to ask that question. How are we doing with that? How are we doing? Are, are we able, and let me just take it a little bit farther. Maybe some of you have good enough margin, but are you now at the point where you can leverage some of what you have for the good of someone else, right? So these are questions that I think we need to ask when we're disrupted. What, what can we do? What are some practical things? And these are just some things I, I thought about that might be helpful as we kind of try to apply this idea of margin and, and what happens in disruption. And, and this is the first one, and this is a good one, and I'm not the, the, the smartest financial guy out there, but this is a good one. This is an old school, probably what grandpa and grandma said, live on less than you make. It seems so easy, but so difficult for us Americans because we have a credit card. We don't got to wait for anything. Live on less than you make. And, and this, is, this is more than just a financial thing. This is so that, and I'm thinking about 1 Timothy, where, where, where Paul encourages one of his buddies, Timothy, to, to remind people to, to get a job and to work hard, not just so you have extra stuff for you, so you have extra stuff for someone else. He tells that to both, both uh, Timothy and he tells that uh, to Titus. That you need to work hard, but the margin is not for you to hoard. It's for you to, to be able to give and be, be helpful for someone else. So live on less than we make. Actually have an emergency fund. How many people realize an emergency fund is pretty, pretty helpful sometimes? Anybody? How many have been bitten by not having an emergency fund? Yeah, we can all... We, I bounced a few checks in my life. So live on less than we make. Make a spending plan, you know, Maybe this is what you need to do sometimes. And I know I'm talking about financial stuff, but this is helpful. This has helped me and Jackie. Look, have you ever done this where you just take a month and you don't budget? You don't budget at all. You just actually write down or record, and there's, there's software to do this now. I think Mint is one of those, where you can actually just look at what you spend in a month. It is revealing. Anybody, anybody else remember done that? It's scary. Some of you are like, I'm not going to do that. You do it for a month and see where money goes. Because sometimes people will say, well, I don't have enough money to save, or I, I can't do retirement or whatever. I'm like, well, what are you spending your money on, right? Do you have any margin at all? And here's probably why you don't have any margin, because everything you've got is just going right out the door. What do they say that about some people with money? It's like <laughs> water through the fingers or sand through the fingers. So live on less than you make. Here's another one. This is, this is important. Prioritize people. You need people in your life. It's a health thing. There's science behind it. We need relational margin. And I know that's been really difficult in the last four to five months. Many of us have felt the strain of isolation. We felt the strain of, of loneliness, uh, of, of kind of tired of seeing the same faces around the house all the time, you know. Um, but you know what I mean? We, we need that people connection. And whether that be in a small, small, small group with your mask on, however it might need to be, or, or dinner, or, or something like that, having relational time. Too often, I think, Americans are so isolated. I think it's uniquely a Northwest thing, too, by the way. The people in the Northwest were so fiercely independent that none of us could even stop by anymore. I had someone stop by my house yesterday, unannounced, and I smiled. 
because I realize that this is kind of unique anymore. Like, when that happens, I kind of smile. Because, again, we're, we're like, everybody wants to get permission. And I realize, look, some people are introverts, and I, I'm not trying to make that case. I'm just saying that we need relational connection. It makes, it, it's a smart thing to actually intentionally create relational time with people. And that can be a number of different things. So prioritize people. Here's the last one. Slow down. And I say this to me as much as anybody. That it matters our pace of life. Jackie and I were walking the other day past the, uh, we have an aquatic center here in town and a great place for families, but we were walking by and there's a baseball field right next to there and there was a baseball game going on. And it was just, you know, afternoon, put a smile on my face. I haven't seen baseball in a while. Hearing the crack of a bat, you know, when you're watching baseball, you got to sit there for like, some of those games could be pretty long. Two or three hours, you pause. And slowing down. Uh, sitting outside, you know, with a book or a cup of coffee and, and letting the sounds of the city, the sounds of, some of you have great backyards. I've seen photos. I envy you. Uh, Jack and I, sometimes we like to get out on the water and just float. Or, or we'll go to the beach and just sit there. We'll actually say nothing for like hours. Slowing down. You know what I mean? Slowing down. And it's not just about, you know, having, you know, some time where you're not working, but actually things that refresh you, things that feed you. Some of you that, that are retired have told me that you're more busy now than you were bef- before you retired. And, and that always, like, causes hurt in my heart because I want, I want I, my picture of retirement is being able to choose those things. And, and if I want to do this, I'll do this. But look, filling up our schedule can hurt us sometimes. So slowing down. Saying no to something actually could create the opportunity to say yes to something else. So just think about those things. You know, living on less than we make to create margin. Prioritizing people to have relational margin and connection. And slowing down to have time margin. Because sometimes I wonder if God is trying to speak to us or communicate to us and we just, we're not listening. Sometimes these things can help create margin so that we're able to listen. I mean, financial margin would be great. What if God called you to go overseas to do something? And you're so far in debt, you can't go. Oh, I mean, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be sad? If God's calling you, and we just have built no margin. And sometimes when we're disrupted, it, it's a great time to reassess our margin. I'm going to pray here in a minute. But before I do, I want to say this. And some of you maybe are listening or you're new to the whole Jesus thing. If you've, if you've never... Like, like Saul did, said yes to Jesus. If you've never made a commitment to say, yes, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. I'm going to go where you go. If you've never had that, that moment with Jesus, maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you right now. And you can make a decision today to be a follower of Jesus. And, and it's very simple. It starts with faith. Believing that God is who he says he is. Believing that Jesus Christ was born miraculously, lived a perfect life, died on a cross for us, and, but rose from the dead and offer us hope and life and forgiveness. It starts with faith, and then it goes to repentance. That is, you recognize your own sin and the need for a Savior. You recognize your need for Jesus. You repent. That is, you were going your way. Repentance means to turn and walk the other way. That is, following Jesus. You confess it before your family, before the world, before God, that you need a Savior, and Jesus is your Savior. And then you're baptized into Christ, buried in Christian baptism in his death, and risen 
into his life out of that water. And then you begin walking as a Christ follower, being part of the Jesus way. That's something you could do today. We'd love to hear about that. If you're online, we'd love to hear about that too. Pray with you over that. Now let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for the moments where we are disrupted and you're able to speak to us, to challenge us, uh, to change us, to, to move us in a different direction like you did Saul here in Acts chapter 9. Father, thank you for dis disruption because it, it creates the opportunity for what is possible. Father, empower us to hear from you in this disruption. And Lord, may we not only look at our priorities again, but also assess our margin and how we might create more margin so that you can do your mighty work through us in so many powerful ways so that we can, we can fulfill your mission of love to our world and our community. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.